Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 2 for July 6 to 12, The Heartbeat of Revival, Sabbath afternoon, July 6. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you because you are the one who has given us your word, you've given us your Son, your Holy Spirit is with us. And as we open your word, we pray that our minds may be clear, that our hearts may be open to the infilling of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's read that again, Matthew seven eleven. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God moves powerfully as his people pray. Alfred Lord Tennyson was certainly correct when he said, More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. The great revivals throughout Scripture were bathed in prayer. The Old Testament records the intercession of the patriarchs and prophets as they sought for revival. Moses, David and Daniel petitioned the Almighty for power. The book of Acts reveals New Testament believers on their knees storming heaven seeking the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' prayer life reveals a constant dependence on His Heavenly Father. The Gospels give us glimpses of the source of His spiritual power. It was on His knees alone with the Father that the Saviour received His greatest strength. Ellen White writes in Selected Messages, Book 1, page 121, this short sentence, A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. During this week's lesson, we will explore the role that prayer played in some of the great revivals in the Bible. Sunday, July 7, Prayer and Revival in Acts The believers in Acts were filled with power from on high. The Holy Spirit was poured out in a marked way. Hearts were touched, lives changed. The gospel penetrated the most difficult places and thousands were converted. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were added to the church. We read in Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Acts 4, 4 records that The number of men alone who believed was above 5,000. Even many of the religious leaders who opposed Jesus during his lifetime became obedient to the faith, as it says in Acts chapter 6 verse 7. The story of this phenomenal growth continues in Acts chapter 9, which said that churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria were multiplied in Acts chapter 9.31. By Acts chapter 10 through to chapter 12, the gospel spanned cultural and geographical boundaries. The Roman centurion and the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia were baptized. 
Acts 1 says that about 120 believers met in the upper room. The best estimates are that by the end of the first century, there were at least one million Christians in the Roman Empire. This is remarkable growth by any standard. What was the secret? Well, we have a question now. Look up the following texts. What was a major reason for the growth of the New Testament church? Acts 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. And then verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then chapter 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And chapter 4, and verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And verse 33, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And chapter 6, and verses 3 and 4. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Pastor R. A. Torrey was a powerful revival preacher in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He conducted revival meetings in Great Britain from 1903 to 1905, and throughout North America in 1906 and 1907. Lamenting the busyness of Christians, he stated, We are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversations, much machinery, but few results. So, to finish today, are you too busy to pray? Who can't relate to that? How can you slow down enough to take the time you need to pray. Think about all the excuses that you have to put it off, the reasons that you give to do other things. In the end, what is it that you are losing by not spending time in prayer? Monday, July 8. Jesus' Prayer Life Question. Compare the following texts, Mark one thirty-five, Luke 5.16 and Luke 9.18. What three specific things do these passages reveal about Jesus' prayer life? Well, first of all, Mark one thirty-five. 
Now, in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And then in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, we read, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And again in Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. And it happened, as he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? Christ was continually receiving from the Father that he might communicate to us. The word which ye hear, he said, is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Not for himself, but for others he lived and thought and prayed. From hours spent with God, he came forth morning by morning to bring the light of heaven to men. Daily he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the early hours of the new day, the Lord awakened him from his slumbers, and his soul and his lips were anointed with grace that he might impart to others. And that's a quote from Ellen G. White from the Review and Herald, August 11, 1910. Question. Examine the following passages. Identify each of the things for which Jesus prayed. How do Jesus' prayers reveal his most important concerns? What is the most distinctive component of each of Jesus' prayers? First of all, there's John chapter 17, verses 20 to 24. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect and one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. The second is Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And that reads, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 44. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Prayer was a vital part of Jesus' life. It was his lifeline to the Father. Daily the Saviour renewed his relationship with his Father through prayer. Jesus' prayer life gave him the courage and strength to face the temptations of the enemy. He came from these prayer sessions with a deepened commitment to do the Father's will. They provided him with a spiritual freshness and power. Describing one of Jesus' times of prayer, Luke adds, As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. Luke 9.29 Jesus experienced spiritual refreshing and a renewed experience with the Father each day through his prayer life. So to finish the day, spend a few moments reflecting on some specific times that God powerfully answered your prayers. How can recalling and reflecting on these experiences deepen your prayer life today? Tuesday, July 9, Praying Together Although Jesus often spent time alone in prayer, there were multiple occasions when he encouraged his closest disciples to pray with him. Peter, James and John accompanied Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. He urged them to unite with him in prayer in Gethsemane, and that's recorded in Luke chapter 22. There is unusual power in united prayer. Question. Carefully analyze Matthew 18, verses 19 to 20. Summarize Jesus' statement regarding united prayer. Beginning at verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them." Ellen White writes in The Central Advance, February 25, 1903, The promise is made on condition that the united prayers of God's people are offered, and in answer to these prayers there may be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. The power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love for God and for one another. John Bunyan once commented, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. As we enter into earnest and heartfelt intercession, the Holy Spirit powerfully works in miraculous ways through our united prayers. Question. Read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 16. What was Peter's situation? What was the attitude of the church? And... What does this passage tell us about the power of united prayer? Beginning at verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. 
and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So, when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out, and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel, and has delivered me from the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So, when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And, as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognised Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You were beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. No question, in this case, Peter had a miraculous deliverance. It was so intense that Peter wasn't even sure it was real, and that he wasn't in a vision. Only afterward did he realise what had happened. It's important to note that these texts stated twice that people were praying together. Considering the tough circumstances, it is no wonder. There is no question that we should do the same, especially when we face challenges as a community such as they did there. Stage, July 10, Our Freedom. Have you ever wondered why prayer is so vital? Why do we have to ask Him for the Holy Spirit? Isn't He willing to give the Holy Spirit to us? The answer to these questions lies in understanding God's respect for our freedom of choice. He has created us with the ability to make moral choices. God is doing everything He can for us and through us before we pray, but he is limited by our choices. We read about this in Psalm 78, verses 41 and 42. Yes, again and again they tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. 
They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. In prayer we freely acknowledge our total dependence upon God and give him the freedom to intervene in our lives. The more we pray, the more we acknowledge his all-sufficiency. When we pray, His Holy Spirit prepares our hearts to receive more of Him. The more we pray, the more we allow the Holy Spirit to crucify our sinful desires. In the great controversy between good and evil, prayer enables God to work more powerfully in our lives. Question. Analyze Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. How would you define the expression... The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. What are these weapons? What kind of warfare is Paul talking about here? And why would he use this kind of imagery? How are we to understand the battle in which we are engaged? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. As Seventh-day Adventists, we understand the reality of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. We know that it is real and that we are involved in it. Left alone, we would be hopeless against Satan. Our only hope is our connection with Jesus, and central to that connection is our prayer life, a spiritual weapon for a spiritual battle, a weapon that none of us can do without. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more so do we? Writing in Ministry of Healing, page 509, we too must have time set apart for meditation and prayer and for receiving spiritual refreshing. We do not value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should. Prayer and faith will do what no power on earth can accomplish. So, to finish today, in what ways have you experienced in your own life the harsh reality of the great controversy between Christ and Satan? How has prayer aided you in this struggle? Where would you be without it? Thursday, July 11. Effective Prayer There are many effective ways to pray. Some people have found it helpful to kneel before God with their Bibles open. Then they read a few verses and commune with God about what they are reading. The Psalms are particularly inspirational as subject matter for prayer. Try meditating upon a particular Psalm during your prayer times. Take one verse at a time, read it aloud, and then talk to God about what the text is saying to you. Others have found that their most meaningful prayer times are alone with God in some quiet, natural setting. Still others have blended singing and prayer. Question. What do we learn about effective prayer from the following verses? First of all, Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And then Psalm 50, verse 23. 
Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. And Psalm 67 and verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. And Psalm 71 verse 6. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. David's prayers were filled with adoration or praise. When we meditate upon God's goodness and matchless love, our hearts overflow with praise. Question. Read Daniel chapter 9, verses 8 to 13. What kind of prayer is this? O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Question. What feature does Paul add to an effective prayer life in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20? Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And another question. What is the meaning of supplication in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 and Philippians 4, 6? And why is this an important component of prayer? Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, we read, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Though we don't want to give a formula for prayer, a broad outline could be as follows. We start with praise and adoration, thanking God for his goodness to us. We then confess our faults and shortcomings, and then thank God for his forgiveness. We conclude with supplications, making our requests known to him, all the while seeking an attitude of submission and trust in his divine power. And so to finish today... Has your prayer life not been what it should or could be? What do you need to do differently? Why not make a more concentrated effort to spend more time in prayer? It can change your life.
Friday, July 12. From the book Steps to Christ, my favourite little book, page 100, Ellen White writes, Keep your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares and your fears before God. You cannot burden Him, you cannot weary Him. He who numbers the hairs of your head is not indifferent to the wants of His children. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy, James 5.11. His heart of love is touched by our sorrows and even by our utterances of them. Take to Him everything that perplexes the mind. Nothing is too great for Him to bear. For He holds up worlds, He rules over all the affairs of the universe. Nothing that in any way concerns our peace is too small for Him to notice. There is no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. There is no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. No calamity can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass the soul. No joy cheer. No sincere prayer escape the lips of which our Heavenly Father is unobservant, or in which he takes no immediate interest. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up his wounds. Psalm 147.3 the relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care, not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Why do we need to pray if God knows everything? Though many answers can be given, perhaps the most important one is that we have been told time and again in the Bible to pray. Even if we don't understand how it works, those who pray effectively know that it does work. You might take a medicine that helps to bring healing to your body, even though you don't know how that medication works. It's the same with prayer. What other reasons can you give for the importance of prayer, especially as we seek revival and reformation? 2. Read over prayerfully the Ellen G. White statement found in Friday's further study. Look at all the encouragement that is found in there, especially in the last line that addresses the relationship between God and the praying supplicant. What can you do, what choices can you make to enter into the kind of close communion with the Lord that is described here? 3. In class, talk about the reality of the great controversy and how it's being manifested in your own church community. Talk about how praying together can help you all work through whatever challenges you are facing. Inside Story, Show Me Your Church, Part 1 Roger's stomach tightened as he waited to see the director of his school. I will stay true to God, no matter what this man decides. Roger was in his final year of secondary school. Soon he would take the national exams that would grant or deny him the right to pursue higher education. Roger had taken the exams before, but when one of the exams fell on Sabbath, he had chosen to honour God rather than take the exam. 
He had accepted the failing grade as a price he could pay for his faithfulness to God. He planned to try again the next year. But civil unrest in Central African Republic forced his family to flee to the Republic of the Congo. He now faced the same problem in a foreign country. On the first day of classes in his new school, Roger had gone to the school's director to explain his religious beliefs and ask to be excused from school functions on Sabbath, a regular school day. The director had been polite, but his response was simply, We'll see how it goes. Roger could only hope and pray that the man would honour his request. When Roger looked at his class schedule, he saw that nearly every exam was scheduled for a Sabbath. Roger asked the teachers to give him his exam on another day. Some did, but others refused. You were just one student among so many, the director told him. I am a Christian too. Show me where God says that we must not work on Saturday. Roger opened his Bible to Exodus 20 and began reading the Sabbath commandment. I didn't know that, the director said thoughtfully. Why don't you worship your God in the morning and come to school after lunch? It seemed like such a reasonable request. Patiently, Roger explained the Sabbath, which began at sunset on Friday. He read Bible texts to support his explanation. The director thought for a moment and then said, Show me your church. Roger sat back. How can I show him my church, he thought. In all of the Congo, we have not one church. Before Roger could answer, the director made another request. Can you bring me your church pastor? Roger smiled. He could bring a pastor. And we'll need to wait till next week to get part two of the story titled Show Me Your Church. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.